2: How many rough bumps back down to earth before it all just cracks and breaks? Manchester United soared high in midweek under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Five goals at home, three of them from substitute Marcus Rashford. And it provided one of the great European nights of the last decade at Old Trafford. A group stage game only, yes, but a very good performance and so much to be happy about. And then Sunday comes, Rashford doesn't even have a single chance. The energetic, driving, impressive Paul Pogba of Wednesday becomes the lethargic liability in his own box, Pogba off Sunday. Fred, so good against Leipzig, gives away the ball and lets Arsenal run all over him. You get the point. Welcome back to the Manchester United weekly podcast as we ask the million dollar question, how can Solskjaer's United be world beaters on a weeknight, unbeaten in 18 games in midweek and limp dolls kicked about by half decent teams on a weekend with only seven points from six Premier League games. Halfway through the show, we'll give you our regular extensive youth loan and women's roundup as United played Chelsea in the FA Youth Cup semi-final and Diogo Dallo was in good form for AC Milan, but to be- Begin with Jack. Um, it, it it does feel as if we're watching two different teams. A two-faced Manchester United. One is the exciting, uh, intense, energetic team that has some tactical innovation, some good substitutions, some great goals, some good finishes, and the other is what we saw against Arsenal. And I think the real question that we all I think a lot of us came away from after that Arsenal defeat, which in and of itself isn't terrible, but in terms of a wider pattern is concerning, is after 100 games of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, are we still lacking an identity?
0: I believe we are still lacking an identity, yeah. I mean, it is the the great mystery of the current season so far, how we can run so hot and cold so quickly. This has been something of an issue throughout Solskjaer's time in charge at United but this has been something of the norm under Solskjaer but in previous seasons we've at least you know gone through long, long spells of being consistently good for five or six weeks and then consistently poor for five or six weeks so it at sort of as a sum total has ended up being inconsistent what's different about the start to this season is that from game to game we're just so so different I mean Two performances in Europe that are not just two of our best, or the two best performances this season, but two of our best performances, I think, in a number of, of years. You know, we we played so, so well against PSG. We we had a brilliant second half against Leipzig after a start where we sort of weathered their early storm quite well, I thought. In both games, Solskjaer's tactics were spot on, and the changes that he made were spot on. And then you get to the Arsenal game and the system. It felt like we were trying to shoehorn the same system from the Leipzig game into the Arsenal game, but it was never carried out properly. The the players were in positions that were maybe a little strange. At least the personnel in those positions didn't seem to match. the The, the changes never worked. We still had two holding midfielders on the pitch at the end when we were chasing a goal. It, it just the the entire game was was very strange, and I don't understand what, how this team can be so different from week to week. But I think to answer. The basic question, I no, I don't think we have an, an identity at all.
2: Yeah. And I think that is the concern that Solskjaer can prepare so well for one-off games, for specific opposition, for Paris Saint-Germain, for RB Leipzig, for going further back, Chelsea in the past, Arsenal in the past, Spurs in the past, City, Liverpool, PhD again. Um and yet on a, on a game-to-game basis, United have no foundation from which to build. And, and I think that the pragmatism of Solskjaer is something that, um, that we really liked and I think still like uh, the fact that he isn't stuck in a, a certain um, philosophy as Louis van Gaal was, as Mourinho was. Um, and the fact that we can go from a five at the back to something that's more of a three at the back, to a diamond, to a four-two-three-one, to a four-three-three, three. Um, and and that is a good thing. And, and and we've asked him, or we we've wanted him to kind of stray from the four-two-three-one that we've used so much, and and that has happened recently. But the problem is that no matter the formation, um, whatever formation, you, you just don't really have a sense of what United are about, apart from being good on the counter-attack and apart from being good in big games and having some very talented young players. What is Solskjaer's United team about? Um, And we just don't know that. And I think that that means that it's very hard to... to, uh, What Solskjaer came out after the game and said is for others to judge how much progress we've made in my 100 games as manager, it's very hard to judge progress when you don't still know what United are about.
0: It's almost impossible to judge the progress when there isn't, it's not one path that we're following. You know, it's, we're not, we're not sort of on, on some, some curve, whether upward or downward, we're just sort of zigging and zagging all over the place. I actually think Arsenal is a great example of what that identity means. And I say that because I, I think we are, when when both teams are at their best, I think we are quite comfortably a better side than Arsenal. You know, our best, say the second half against Leipzig, the, the last 15 minutes against yeah. Newcastle, the PSG game, that is, I think, quite comfortably better than anything that this Arsenal side can produce. But you look at what Mikel Arteta has done at Arsenal and it hasn't been per- been perfect and the results aren't great. You know, they, they had a, just as bad a start to the season as we have but they show up every week and you know roughly what you're going to get from this Arsenal team. You're going to get a, t- a team that presses high up the pitch, that's going to play out from the back, That and that is going to probably have long spells where they are quite quite solid defensively. When they get the ball, they're going to play out from the back and they're going to press high up the pitch. That is their two defining characteristics, regardless of the P players on the pitch, regardless of the formation they use. And, I, and honestly, even though it isn't, It hasn't worked all the time. I think there is some comfort in that as a fan because you can see that it's building towards something. And it means that when they put in a performance like they did against us, and to be fair, for all of our faults, I thought Arsenal were excellent. It means that you can at least take some comfort that this is maybe a sign Mm -hmm. of what's to come because even if that performance necessarily won't be repeated again, the style of performance will. I think what's frustrating with United is that you watch us play against Leipzig when we use the diamond so well. And you know you had like you said our midfield was all over the place. The energy was, was brilliant, but you just never know whether that's going to come again. Yeah, I think
2: it's 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 kind of strange this because I think the Arsenal game in isolation is it's not that concerning. Um, it was a really bad first half. The second half was pretty bad. United didn't create enough. We didn't defend well enough, uh, and and to be honest, we didn't try enough, and, and that that is a concern. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, again, it, it's it's definitely worth mentioning how much of a difference I think fans would have made in that game. Um, enough to make United win the game or draw the game. Um, that, that's a personal opinion. But that first half, once again, in the same way as Palace, um, Newcastle, Chelsea, all of those games would not have been accepted had fans been in the ground. Um, so that is worth thinking about. But again, the Arsenal game in isolation isn't that concerning. It's the fact that this has happened so many times. Um, But I think it it is worth talking about Arsenal in particular. We played with a diamond again. It worked so well against Leipzig. Um, And yet this time it was different. It was Scott McTominay at the base of the diamond against Leipzig with um, Fred taking that role against Arsenal. And Pogba was a completely different player in those two games. And perhaps the key was the lack of Anthony Martial maybe. I think
0: for me, I think it was Matic at the base of the diamond against Leipzig um, rather than McTominay. And I actually think Sorry, that, yeah. no, and I think that actually is the key. I thought that was what I wanted to highlight. We, right. So the, the problem for me in this game, there were, there were two major problems. One, Arsenal pressed us high. We all know that we don't play well against teams that press us high. And even, the, even for all the great things that came out of the Leipzig game, the first you know 15 minutes, we struggled to get out because they pressed us so well. I think the key in that game was having Matic there because he, of all of our sort of deep midfielders, he is the one best able to to break a press on the ball because he can pick a pass through the lines into the feet of, you know, Martial, Rashford, Pogba, Fernandes, Van der Beek, whoever it might be. Against Arsenal, you had this sort of four of Lindelof, Maguire, Fred and McTominay who were sort of the four deep central players tasked with receiving yeah. the ball from De Geo, from each other, from the fullbacks, and getting us forward. And we just couldn't do it. We just couldn't do it. I don't think we got out of our own half once in the first 15 minutes. And and the the problem for me was McTominay, who was supposed to be on the right of the diamond against Arsenal. He kept dropping into almost becoming a making it a double defensive midfielder formation like a 4-2-3-1. And him and Fred would end up both playing as a holding midfielder. And our team was just so unbalanced because of it. Because then you had, on the left-hand side, Pogba, you know, staying in his position as he should. McTominay drifting so deep that it was cluttering all that space, making it easier for Arsenal to press us. And then we had no, We it was one less person to then pass to to try and get out of the press. Yeah. And I don't know whether that's down to Solskjaer or McTominay. I, I honestly don't, It part. It, it's probably partly down to both of them. McTominay not following instructions, but Solskjaer maybe not. Realizing that and fixing that soon enough, but it it was strange to me that Fred, having played so well in and in, in what as one of the the middle two in the diamond, rather than at the base of it against Leipzig, was then sort of shoehorned into this role at the base of the diamond when it seems like McTominay would fit that role better than Fred anyway.
2: Yeah, and we'll move on to the changes made in the game and the subs because they were also. A- a, a bit peculiar. Um, but yeah, it it was that. And it was, it was just really amateurish everywhere you looked from the 90th minute when we were just lumping it up to Harry Maguire, who'd stayed in the box after a free kick through to the very start of the game in the first half when Fred's passing was, was way off. McTominay was completely absent, both defensively and offensively. Um, Pogba was losing possession time and again. Greenwood and Rashford were either not tracking back or not making the the runs needed in attack. Bruno Fernandes was going for the long Hollywood balls across the pitch when instead some quick short passing to get out of the press would have worked much better and given United a founding in the game. And you put all of that together and it's no surprise we've had a bad game. And I guess the caveat is that United have had a bad performance against Arsenal and really a nil-nil draw could have been fair in that game and was it not for a moment of idiocy from Paul Popper that would have probably been the result even though Arsenal hit the bar through Willian and were definitely the better team and I guess that's a small element of comfort for United and for Solskjaer but it was just so amateurish and there were so many questions to be asked of so many different individuals I sat there thinking this team is not coached well enough to be able to play out when they're under this kind of pressure and there's 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 some, again, there's some caveats to that. Fred, I think we know isn't good enough to play when under some serious pressure, but he dealt very well yeah. uh, in in Paris in in a similar role. McTominay probably doesn't have the passing ability to necessarily do that all the time, but he's got the driving ability to dribble forward and, and, and drive through that midfield and do it. And he's he's a very good shielder of the defence. Matic does have that ability when he's playing well, doesn't when he's not. Um, But it needed someone from the touchlines telling somebody like Bruno Fernandes and Mason Greenwood, who both were guilty of this, to stop going for those diagonal Hollywood balls and to start playing quickly, short, sharp, good first touch, get the ball away, and and, and move. And it's really difficult in those first halves when you get half an hour in and you've really struggled to do anything but just wait it out until half time, which is what basically United did. And it is difficult, and sometimes that's the right scenario and an option to take um, but United it, there was no it, it didn't seem like there was the right instructions coming from the touchline and if there were then they weren't uh, they weren't followed by the players on the pitch
0: right and, and this is I think the point about you know McTominay in that it's I think it, the fault it lies with both of them in that McTominay shouldn't be dropping that deep in the first place but at the same time what is a coach there to do other than to make the those those sort of small tactical adjustments during the first half. You can't you can't do anything that big in the first half. I know that. And you know making subs like Mourinho has done in the past it creates more problems than it solves usually. But little things like that like adjusting McTominay's position and, and instructing him to stay in and that sort of right-hand side of the diamond is, is is exactly what a coaching staff should be doing from the sidelines. Again, without being there I don't know if that was happening it, it was McTominay not following the instructions. Whatever it was, it didn't get passed on quickly enough. I think the the thing that really frustrated me was that when you ha- when you play with a diamond, you have four four people in midfield, which means that you should, with good movement, be able to get out from a press. Because the best way to break a press is not just to lump it long and then you know hope for the be- hope that you win you know you win a header or anything, which we're not going to do by the way with Rashford yeah. and Greenwood up front. It's quick, short passing with good movement. Because regardless of how well the press is done, the ball always moves faster than than the players. We we mentioned this last week the the goal movie reference. The ball always, always moves faster than players. So if you can get four or five short passes in in the space of six seconds, you're always going to beat the press because they just cannot live with with quick, short, snappy passing. But to do that requires good movement and we just didn't have it. Fernandez, if he ever came short, it was it was to drop, you know, as deep as Fred and almost sort of say get out of the way and let me take charge of this Pogba never really came short he stayed very wide left which is you know okay as a starting position but you need to be a bit more flexible than that Rashford and Greenwood very rarely came short for the ball into feet McTominay was always way too deep so he wasn't an option to play out from the back so we ended up just going sort of between De Gea Wan-Bissaka Maguire Lindelof Shaw Fred and McTominay but not actually going anywhere you know we keep the ball for 15 seconds not go anywhere. The ball would eventually go back to De Gea, who would be under pressure, and then we'd have to kick it long, and then Arsenal would just come back at us again. Yeah, and it, I think it comes down to you know I, I think that there is a lot for for Solskjaer to answer for here, absolutely, but it does also come down to the players as well. It, it is a it's ultimately on both, and I you know the the four sort of at the central base there, Fred McTominay, Mc, Maguire, and Lindelof. They aren't any of them brilliant on the ball, and so they do need help from their teammates. But that ability, like you said, that ability to to know how to move yourself and how to move the ball to get out of a press. It co- yeah. comes down to coaching.
2: Um, let, let's run through a few individual players in the first half, particularly Wambasaka and and Fred had absolutely nightmares and were lucky not to be punished for them. Uh, Wan-Bissaka lost Aubameyang twice at the back post and Saka once as well. And it, it, it coming off the back of one of his best, perhaps his best ever performance in Paris. This was maybe one of his worst for United since joining. Yeah. Yeah.
0: He rarely has bad games, Van Bessacker as yeah, well. And this he's was so particularly normally bad. Normally so
2: reliable defensively, this was particularly bad. And the same could be said for Fred as well. Two players in really good form recently who have been really impressive and probably two of United's best players of October. First game in November. And both were were pretty shambolic and got completely overran by uh, Lacazette, Yang respectively. Um, on the other hand... I think it's worth mentioning, and we'll talk very quickly about Paul Pogba in a second, but before that, it's worth mentioning David De Gea. We, I mean, this was a big issue going into the start of the season, De Gea or Henderson, and through a string of basically good performances, he has just kind of shut that up. He is no longer the focus and he's playing very well and doing everything we would ask of him. And Luke Shaw, since Alex Tellers has joined, is also playing very well.
0: Yeah, Shaw and De Gea both cemented their places when they're under pressure. You know, the, the Wan-Bissaka one, I think, is the most interesting because so I, I was actually just thinking a second ago that one thing that this United team is lacking is players that consistently... The, the floor is very high. You know, we have a lot of players who, when they play well, are very, yeah. very good. The likes of, you know, Rashford, Martial, Fernandes, Pogba, even Fred, you know, they're when they play at their best, they are... Almost unstoppable and and can produce genuinely world class football, but they're also all players who at their in their bad games are are really bad and we don't have and i think that the player that springs to mind here a sort of a comparison would be like a Darren Fletcher type of player, not necessarily his profile but where Fletcher wouldn't reach the heights of you know the likes of nanny or trying to think of other midfielders that we had in that era. Even even Paul Scholes, you know, he wouldn't ever reach those heights. But he had a very high floor to his game. He never had a game below six out of ten. And that is the kind of thing that we're missing at United, I think, is every almost every one of our players is very almost risk and reward every every game. Not in necessarily the way that they play, but it's either a brilliant performance and we're singing their praises or they're, it, when they're bad they're really bad and it seems like it's something that's affecting the entire team at the moment and I think Pogba is, is the best example of that I mean we've defended Pogba a lot on this podcast both of us and I think they have both said in the past that he gets a lot of unne- un, uh, unnecessary and undeserving flack from the media from the fans whoever but I mean I think he deserves everything that comes his way after this performance because this was I think maybe his worst in a United shirt. It was really. Uh, bad. No,
2: I, I'd I'd reserve that title for it was Liverpool in January of I can't remember what year. It was it was the day after he'd got his own emoji on Twitter. And was
0: that when he when we got played as number ten?
2: Uh, yeah. He, I think he got sent off, didn't he?
0: At Anfield.
2: I th- no, I think it was at Old Trafford, and I th- oh, think he gave away then. a penalty. By handballing it in the box, I think. I can't remember this, but it was a terrible, terrible performance. Um, but yeah, we have defended Popo a lot. And it, it's, it's always so frustrating because I think it, it's, it's there for all of us to see just how talented he is. And he, he can be such an entertaining player as well. There was that moment where he did four consecutive headers, basically, keep up, he's on his head yeah. in, in the middle of a Premier League game. And that just, it, it, it does just make me sad because that's the kind of. Uh, ingenuity and and creativeness and exciting football that we could get from Paul Pogba and that unfortunately we only get very rarely. And if it, if we do get it, it's one good moment in a generally average or in this case, bad performance. And I thought he was really good against Leipzig and he looked so up for it. Energetic, uh, driven, effective, um, efficient as well. And yet this was, this was uh a bad performance and I think it it wasn't terrible for the first half uh, but after that especially once he got shifted out to the left wing he did a couple of good things and then it just uh, once he'd given away the penalty it was um, it, it was pretty poor and yeah it's, I think
0: what it, was so frustrating was that against Leipzig I actually thought we may have found a, a, a winning formula there because we've always said that when Pogba was at his best at Juventus it was when he was playing on the left side of that three man midfield where he had two other midfielders alongside him who were not only very good on the ball but pretty good defensively. He was able to make his drive and runs forward, have a little bit more freedom there. And it felt to me against Leipzig that we we may have stumbled into something like that where he played on the left side of that diamond, so he had a little bit more space and he wasn't at the base of a midfield. He didn't have the same defensive responsibilities, and he was brilliant against Leipzig. He really was. The energy that he brought was was brilliant. And then and then you see the quality, like the weight of the pass to Greenwood for the, for the first goal. And I was excited to watch him in the diamond again against Arsenal. It just didn't. It just didn't ca- happen at all. And it's just so frustrating to watch because it feels like every time we get close to f- sort of figuring out a formation and, and how to consistently get the best out of him, it just doesn't doesn't work out. Yeah,
2: I think the the short term solution is use him off the bench as we were a couple of weeks ago and having yeah. some some good success with and I think that that has to be his role uh, in the I think I think the
0: difference now is that until the last year or so I think we've always and we've said this very publicly on this podcast that the future of Man United should be with Pogba very much at the forefront of it. I think now he's not only at a stage in his career age wise but also in his Man Man United career especially that I think I think we can see that the long term future of Man United is not does not involve Paul Pogba for that many for that much longer. Yeah. Agreed. You know, and so I think it, now there isn't the same urgency around getting him into the starting 11 every week because I don't think regardless of what happens I don't think in 3 or 4 years time, you know, we will have built a team around him. Now the, the future is, you know, Marcus Rashford and Mason Greenwood that is the they are the, the players we should be focusing on building the team around not Paul Pogba. Yeah. And so whereas before it was you know, let's find a formation that gets the best out of Pogba because he is so clearly our best player that if we can get the best out of him, it, everything else will sort of fall into place. I don't think that's true anymore. And I think it should be let's find a formation and a system and an identity that gets the best out of everyone else. If Pogba fits into that as a starter, great. Yeah. If not, I don't think it's a big deal.
2: Yeah. Right. We'll wrap things up on the Arsenal conversation. We're going to talk a bit about um how much Anthony Marshall's absence Uh, affected the game and affected the diamond. Obviously he played in the Leipzig game as part of that team um, and Rashford came off the bench. Uh, But we're going to talk about that in the patron Q&A, the bonus patron Q&A at the end of the show, because we've had a question asked by one of our patrons who support the podcast. If you want to listen to that bonus Q&A, you can sign up to become a patron go to our Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod, that's P-O-D, and there'll be a link there and information there on how you can sign up and get that extra content. But we're going to go to a youth loan and women's roundup and then we'll be back to talk about Istanbul here on Wednesday evening, early Wednesday evening kickoff in the Champions League, uh, the third group stage game and Everton in the Premier League. Manchester United were knocked out of the FA Youth Cup by a revenge-seeking Chelsea side on Friday night. The semi-final and finals were held at St. George's Park. Manchester City beat Blackburn in the first game of Friday evening and then United were outdone by Chelsea. More physical than United and better at creating chances on the night. There were impressive displays from captain Ted Mengi, who stepped down from the first team squad for the big game for the under-18s and led his side well with constant belting from the defensive line. short Shortari impressed as well. He's only 16 and will be a key part of the team in this year's campaign as an experienced player now. United really lacked a striker. Deji Satona left in the summer and Dylan Hoogwerth is injured and that left United without a real outlet up top and it definitely showed. Mark Helm played at nine and put in a good effort, but it wasn't enough. Joe Hugo and Charlie McNeil, two summer signings for United who play in that striker role. They weren't allowed to play. Only those registered for last season's competition could play and the game ended 1-0 to Chelsea. No game for the under-23s this week, but in low news, Matej Kovar started for Swindon in a 2-1 win against Hull. They sit 20th in League One. Diego Dallo is having a good time at AC Milan, who are in brilliant form in Italy. Dallo assisted one and scored another in a 3-0 Europa League win before coming off the bench to help Milan to a late 2-1 victory against Udinese. Ibrahimovic scored a late bicycle kick winner in that goal. Um, his incredible career continues to amaze. Max Taylor was in action for Kidderminster. Dylan Levitt was an unused sub in both of Charlton's games this week, whereas James Garner came off the bench twice for Watford in the Championship. Andreas Pereira scored for Lazio in a 4 1 win against Torino. And Chong Traore in Haygarth all played too this week, but without much to talk about. No game for United's women's side this week either. They're in action on Wednesday against defeated FA Cup finalist Everton in the FAWSL Cup, and then Arsenal at the weekend in the league. The games don't stop, Jack. It's Istanbul Basakşehir on Wednesday. Early kickoff this one, 5.55pm live on BT Sport away from home. Um, there was a pretty big earthquake in Turkey last Friday, actually. Istanbul relatively unaffected, but still felt the shocks. Um, and it was the the port city of Izmir that was badly damaged. Um, I think at least 64 people have died. And I know we have a few listeners in Turkey. So best wishes to all of you. Hope um, all safe. Uh, Basakşehir, though, Jack. Europa League round 16 last year, beaten by by Copenhagen, who we then played now in the Champions League after becoming Turkish champions last season. They are kind of the the new kids on the block in Istanbul, a, a great footballing city. You would think it's time for some more rotation. Um, an early match away from home in a faraway land, never one you're going to be confident for, but a win in Istanbul and United will be on their way to the top in their group. And we are a very good midweek team. Um, if if recent history is to be believed,
0: yeah, what is it? Is it eighteen games now? I think unbeaten and midweek games. So, yeah, we'll, we'll just chalk this one up to a United win and move on, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, they're ne- they're never <laughs> easy games going to uh, going to Turkey to play anything. I, I don't know much about Besiktas here, as I'm sure you don't. I'm sure many of our listeners don't. But going to Turkey is never a particularly easy task. I think it's a game you would expect United to win, of course, and it would be huge if we do because getting to nine points after three games in the Champions League group stages is huge. It would set us well on our way to, to top in the group. I'm interested to see, again, what Solskjaer does in terms of the team selection. You would expect quite a bit of rotation, but I'm interested to see what system he ends up going with, whether he sticks with the diamond again or reverts more towards a four-two-three-one. 2 3 one. Again, the, the Arsenal game on its own is not the end of the world. And it's definitely not a similar situation to what we had, say after the Tottenham game where we need a reaction. But I do think, I do think even though it's not to the same extent, there is a level of, of reaction needed from, from United. I think because it was the nature of the performance against Arsenal that was so disappointing. I think that warrants, it warrants some kind of, of reaction to that and and almost proves that this is still a good side, you know?
2: Yeah. I think, I think the reaction is really needed in the Everton game at the weekend in the Premier League because seven points from six games yeah. is, is very, very poor. United are 15th. It's nothing to be that concerned about now, the league position. But the points tally certainly is. And this is not the first time that Ole Gunnar yeah. Solskjaer has started a season badly as United manager. The same was true of, of last year. So I think, yeah, the Everton game is more important in terms of performance and result the Basaksehir one is kind of one I think just to get through, and a win would be fantastic. And nine points from three games, you really need—I mean, twelve—to be progressing in the Champions League should should do you. So United would be would be in a very very comfortable position then. And um, I mean, the Champions League is 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 kind of what it's all about, isn't it? And now now that we're in it. And this is if we can can top our group, then that's a, a great achievement. Obviously, that that doesn't mean the poor Premier League performance is acceptable. Um, but in terms of the, the the lineup, yeah, it's interesting where he, where he goes, diamond or four two three one or or something different. I think um, I said before the youth roundup about Paul Popper that his short term future should be off the bench. But I think the Champions League is kind of a, a good competition for him. So I'd be tempted to, to start him in this one um, and have him on, on the bench for the Everton game. And I think hopefully Martial um, can, I guess, get about 60 minutes, 65 minutes, hopefully play well and then come off and rest him um, for his return against Everton. And I guess it, it's been a good few weeks for Martial. Um, and I, as I said, we'll talk about him later, but I think Popper, um hopefully we'll see a bit more of Cavani. He didn't do that much against Arsenal and it could be a chance for him to, to get a goal in Turkey
0: Yeah I think Martial has been really good recently every time he's played he's shown why he's so valuable to us I think what's been key is that his hold up player has been very very good against both PSG and Leipzig he provided that kind of focal point that we needed in both games and allowed us to against Leipzig break break the the high pressure that we were under and against PSG kind of give us a break from what was becoming at times sort of constant waves of attack from PSG. So I'm excited to watch him play. I'm excited for him to come back in the Premier League now. Is his ban over? yet? I don't think. I don't think it is. Right? Is he still got one game left?
2: I thought he was back for this one um, because was it
0: three games who've we played since then? Newcastle, Newcastle, Arsenal. Chelsea, Arsenal. Oh, and Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. So it must be back for Everton then. Yeah. So I mean, I mean I'm, I'm assuming he'll come straight back into the team. I don't see a reason why not. His goal scoring record isn't particularly good. Recently, hopefully the penalty that sort of Rashford let him take against Leipzig will help that. But in general, I think his performances have been good. So I'm excited to see him play. I wonder if Edinson Cavani might get a start against Besiktas here. I think if we'd have beaten Arsenal at the weekend, he probably would have. Now I'm not quite so sure because I think Solskjaer may be tempted to put a slightly stronger team out because he, you know, we need a lift. But I, I'd like to see Cavani start. He's only really come on towards the end of games and when we've been chasing a goal and we haven't really been able to see much of him so I would be excited to see him get a start and actually here is probably the one game where you'd expect that it might happen
2: yeah to be fair I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a van der Beek Mata Cavani uh, yeah. and then one of Martial Rashford and Greenwood in a 4-2-3-1 it's the kind of game that Mata might get an opportunity in same for van der Beek and I guess getting Matta's crosses into Edison Cavani isn't, isn't a bad thing to have. Uh, so that could be possible. I don't think Matta will play against Everton. I would like van der Beek to play against Everton away from where United need to retain possession better. Whether you bring in Nemanja Matic to do that or Donny van der Beek to do that, I'm not sure but I think one one of them has to start to make sure we don't see a replica of the Arsenal game. Everton have had a bad couple of weeks, to be fair. Um, Defeat to Newcastle at the weekend. Callum Wilson scored twice, um, and this game is uh, the Saturday 12-31. And Everton, yeah, the, the Newcastle loss and then Southampton before that, and then they drew in the Merseyside derby. Their kind of great run of form is over. Calvert-Lewin scored against Newcastle, but Hamas Rodriguez was injured. I think he might make it back for our game. Um... But so it's, it's kind of hard to judge how Everton will be because James was injured for the Newcastle defeat and was, clearly wasn't fit for the Southampton game. Um, so it's a little hard to judge, but Everton have some, some proper threat. And I think it might be a game for Axel Twanzibay against Calvert-Lewin's aerial ability. Although Victor Lindelof has actually been one of United's best performance for the last two weeks.
0: Yeah, he 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 has. He's done done really well. Calvert Lewin is the kind of striker you normally expect him to struggle against, but I think Lindelof's been been very, very good. And so I hope that we can match up relatively well there. The Everton game is, is a hard one to, to judge because you don't know whether this sort of little patch of bad form that they're in now is a consequence mainly of injuries. You know, against Newcastle yesterday they were missing Hamas Rodriguez, uh Seamus Coleman, Lucas Dinier, Richarlison were all out. So it's kind of hard to judge, but I mean, they're going to be a difficult team to play against. Again, it's just whether we can, we can show up. Honestly, we are a better side than Everton. We are when we're playing at our best. It's just so predicting these Man United games is, is almost impossible at this point because we have no idea which Man United will will show up. But I mean, we definitely are playing Everton at the right time. Uh, Not sure how many of those players that were out for the Newcastle game will be back for them this weekend, but this is certainly the, a better time to be playing than, than a few weeks ago when they were riding high and top of the league.
2: Yeah, definitely. I'm not I'm not too confident. I'm going to predict for this week a 2-1 way against Basaksehir here and a 1-1 draw against Everton, um, which wouldn't be the end of the world, but United desperately need some Premier League points.
0: Yeah, the results on their own wouldn't be the end of the world, but like you said, the, the point situation is will soon start becoming concerning. We're already, I think, five or six points behind Chelsea, as one of our main sort of top four rivals, yeah. I, I, I would I would say for this week I'll go for a relatively comfortable three-one win against Besiktas here, and it's tough to be confident against Everton as well. They're, they're a good side, and I think they're going to cause us problems. I'll go for an entertaining but ultimately disappointing two-all draw.
2: Nice right similar ideas uh, we'll wrap things up there we're going to go into our Patreon Q&A for those who have signed up to Patreon thank you to all of those who who have done um, and thank you to everyone else for for listening and supporting the podcast especially to those of you who have left reviews on Apple Podcasts and shared it on Twitter much appreciated as always we'll be back next week to talk about uh, United performances against Basaksehir and Everton um, but for more throughout the week from Jack you can find him on Twitter at
0: at UTD T-A-I-T and
2: you can find me on Twitter at Harry Robinson64 and the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P L D at the end there. Have a great week. Stay safe. Goodbye.